Hey guys, it's Lauren Schmidt, Director of Ministry at Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight as we look at God's Word and ask Him to speak to us through it. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. As we move into the holiday season, and we celebrate the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas, we ask tonight that as we look at your word, that we would be open to what you have to say to us. That we would listen, hear, and obey. And that through this holiday season, that we would grow in our love for you and our love for other people. Please bless this time of worship tonight as we worship you through the word. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray tonight. Amen. So as I was thinking through Thanksgiving and where we were going to go with the two-part message series over the course of the next two weeks, I came across something I hadn't really thought about before in any real length of time. I was actually thinking about titling the series, Thank God, because we move into Thanksgiving, that's what it's about over the next two weeks in particular. Specifically, thank God. As I studied out this phrase, thank God, and and what it means and how it's used in English, I stumbled across something I hadn't really thought about, in a way I hadn't thought about it, and there were several videos on YouTube of people who were talking about how there are people in our culture that use the phrase, thanks God, when they have some kind of good fortune or experience some kind of blessing. Apparently, there is a contingency or population of people that when they get that parking spot right close to the store, will say, oh, thanks God. Or something goes right or goes their way, oh, thanks God. Just flippantly in passing saying, thanks God. And there were people with YouTube videos on actual channels, on a proper American English channels, that were decrying the use of the phrase, thanks God. And in each case, as I looked at the different various ones, their rationale was that it's not proper American English to say thanks God in response to good fortune or good favor because, and they said, it's like treating or talking to God like you would be talking to your friend for doing something kind or nice for you. Like, thanks Bob, thanks Bill, thanks Nancy, thanks Susan. And so that's not appropriate. I had to pause the video each time and really just sit with that for a second. Not proper English. Inappropriate to say, thanks God. To not talk about him like he is a person who has done something kind for us. As I thought about the fact that in many cases and occasions it was called improper American English, we find that Proper American English, in regard to this phrase, goes out the window when we do, in fact, stop to remember that God is, in fact, a person who should be thanked. We can and should say, thanks God, when and only when we mean it. Because really, if we're just saying it flippantly anyway, we're taking his name in vain. Food for thought. Sadly, though, as we move into Thanksgiving, it can be very easy for us as people to get so caught up in what we're thankful for that we forget that the most important aspect of his blessing is who we are thankful to. As we look at uh, 2 Samuel 22 tonight, we're going to see a song of David. 
Now, typically, we see the songs of David in, in Psalms, right? Well, here we see a song of David at the end of his life in 2 Samuel 22, where David is thanking God for various things. It's 51 verses of David thanking God for the way in which God has shown up in his life and the things that he has done for him and who God is and what that means to David. He understood the importance of thanking God for who he is and what he did in his life toward the end of his life. David had survived his enemies, most notably King Saul. And his thankfulness was so great as we see here that we find this song repeated in Psalm 18. There are some variations in the words and things and places, a little bit different phrases here and there. But for the most part, it's nearly exactly the same in Psalm 18 as it is here in 2 Samuel 22. How cool is that? It's so important that it bears repeating, literally, in the Scriptures. God wanted it more than once in there. And this week, as we look at the first part of this text, the first 31 verses, we're, in fact, going to see three reasons that we should thank God for who He is this Thanksgiving. Three reasons for why we should thank God for who He is. Not just what He does, that's next week, but for who He is first and foremost as we celebrate Thanksgiving this coming week. So in 2 Samuel 22, we find these three reasons. And the first reason that we see in the first 31 verses of the text is that we should thank God because He is perceptive. He's perceptive. Sometimes in... Uh, different kinds of games and activities, video games, board games and things, there is the term perception used. That word perception is generally one's awareness to pick up what's going on around them, to perceive specifics or details about their environment, to understand things that other people might miss who are not as perceptive. And David, in the first seven verses here of the text, speaks of, of God's perceptive nature. And let's look at those verses. So we see in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. We thank God because he is perceptive. As David writes these first seven verses of this song, he talks about how he's going through these various things. He's experiencing this turmoil, these circumstances in his life that to him felt like death. He literally calls them such. When he talks about the cords of Sheol in verse 6 and the snares of death that he experiences. As he reflected on his enemies and the people who were trying to kill him, even the God of Israel wanted him dead. He reflects on that threat to his life. And he says that even in the midst of that, when he was at his lowest, when he was at his most vulnerable, 
when he had some fear and concern for his life, he knew that God was there. That God knew what was going on. That no matter what he was experiencing and how terrible it seemed, that God was aware. And we see that here in the text. In the first four verses, we see that he acknowledges uh, that he is perceptive because God is there. He has all of these names and things, these descriptors for God. He calls him a rock on a couple of different occasions. A fortress, a deliverer, a shield, a savior. I'm saved from my enemies. He, we see that God is perceptive because he is there every step of the way in David's life. He is all these things to David. He is there going through all of these things with David. He is there. He's in the thick of it in David's life. And I don't know about you, but these first seven verses, well, really, these entire 31 verses are an encouragement to me. Because it reminds me that I can be thankful for God being aware of me. Even though I'm on a planet with millions and billions of people, He still is aware of what I'm going through. He's there. I can call him my shield, my savior, my refuge, my fortress, just like David did. And so can you. Because God is there. He's perceptive of us. He's aware of us. He is there. And not only that, as we see in verses 5 and 6, as I briefly mentioned with 6, not only is he there, but God also cares about what we're going through. Let's look at 5 and 6 again. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Imagine that. Have you, been going, have you ever gone through a time in your life when you just literally felt like life was choking the life out of you? That when you got up in the morning, you had to face another day and you didn't know how you were going to. That you were dealing with turmoil from people in your life. That there were circumstances that, that felt like they were suffocating you and trapping you and pulling you down. David is talking about feeling like he's being pulled down. Sheol was, was the Old Testament Jewish concept of, of death, the grave. And David says, I'm being pulled down by what I'm going through. But he acknowledges and recognizes that even though he is in the midst of that, that God is there and that God cares about what he's going through. God is there, and God cares. He's perceptive. He knows what's going on with us. And not only that, not only is God there, as we see in verses 1 through 4, and that He cares in verses 5 and 6, no matter what we're going through, no matter how we feel, no matter how much it feels like life is pulling us down, He also hears us. He hears us. When we call out to Him during those times, because he is there, and he does care. So he hears when we cry out to him. Verse 7. David writes, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. Not just God. Not just a God. My God. David recognizes that God is his God. He's personal. God is personally involved in his life. He's not just some abstract figure that happens to be looming on the horizon, watching over what he does, waiting to smite him. He is a God who watches over him because he is right there with him. 
the shield, the fortress, the protector, the savior, the deliverer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God, I called. And look what he says, God responded. Not only did he just call, but there was a response from his temple. He heard my voice. This idea or concept would be like a temple up on a mountain, a temple mount. And that God, even though he might seem far away and distant at times, he still hears you. There might be times that you're going through life and it feels like it's pulling you down into the depths of death. And yet you can still call out to God. And even when he feels far away, you can call out to him and he will still hear you. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. We know a God who is there, who is perceptive, who is aware of what we're going through, who is aware of how we feel, that wants to be our defender, protector, shield, and fortress, and wants us to call out to him because he's listening. And he will hear and respond. And maybe you're discouraged tonight. Maybe the holidays are a tough time for you. Maybe they bring up painful memories from the past or difficult things that you've had to go through or experience. Or maybe you're going through something this year that feels new and fresh but is terrible. You have a God who is aware of it, who is aware of what you're going through or have been through and is there, who is present who is perceptive, who is waiting for you to call out to him, who is ready and eager to be your source of comfort and strength, your shield, your savior, your refuge, your rock during this time. Now I want to encourage you first and foremost to realize that as we, we begin moving through this two-part series of why we should, or what we should thank God for this Thanksgiving. Because you really have to remember that the most important part of thanking God is thanking Him for who He is. And first, thanking Him because He is perceptive and aware of you. As David continues, though, it's interesting. Uh, verse 7 ends with him calling out to the temple and the Lord hearing him, hearing his cry. It came to his ears. And the best part of this is it's not just a theoretical situation where David is sitting around hoping for God to do something. We find as we look at the next several verses that God is not only perceptive, but He is also a powerful God. And He responds. Let's look at verses 8 through 16. Then the earth reeled and rocked. So He cries out to God upon the temple mount. God hears with His ears. I love that. It mentions Him hearing. And he responds in verse 8, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. 
And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channel of the sea were seen, the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the whole world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So David is crying out to God up on the Temple Mount. God hears, he hears his cry. And then we see God literally moving the heavens and the earth to come to his aid. And you might be sitting there discouraged and wondering, is God to respond? Is God going to respond in my life? Can he respond in my life? And the answer emphatically is yes. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. Now, this in large part was poetic imagery. Because the actual context for God's responding in David's life was often God's provision and God's protection in the midst of military combat. Because again, he was fighting and dealing with his enemies and Saul in that situation. So was David regularly seeing God parting the clouds and descending on angels and casting lightning down and actually shaking mountains and volcanoes, which is the imagery that we get here? No, probably not. Could God have done that? Yes, absolutely he could. And yet what I want us to get here from this section is that David recognized that in his life, the things that God did on his behalf to protect him, to care for him, to provide for him, felt like God literally moving the heaven and earth in his life. And that God's presence was so powerful that he showed up in such a way that David could couldn't help but be moved by what God was doing. And I wonder if, in life, when we call out to God and cry out to God, if there isn't uh, some doubt in our lives, if we don't do it and, and just expect Him to do all the work without actually having any faith in Him to come through. And then He does, but we miss it. Because we really weren't looking for it. And if we were looking for something, it wasn't what God was providing. Because God does show up in our lives, especially when we call out to Him and cry out to Him. And we see that here in the text. God is powerful. David describes Him as being powerful over the earth in the verses 8 and 9. This idea of the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens. Picture, if you will, earth and columns or pillars. Now, we would know them today as mountains. Poetic imagery for mountains. So he's literally saying that the mountains are moving and shaking at God working in his life. That's what it felt like to him. When God provided for him, protected him, cared for him, brought him victory in his life over his enemies and the things that he was going through, it felt like mountains were literally being moved in David's life. And I just wonder if Jesus wasn't thinking about this when he talks about the faith of a mustard seed and moving mountains. We have that imagery here of mountains being moved, foundations of the heavens being trembled and quaked. Why? Because God was angry at what David was going through. Now keep in mind, of course, when David is reflecting on all of this, David's enemies and the things that were assailing and attacking him, these were circumstances and people that he had not brought upon himself. He was not experiencing the consequences of sin here as he's thinking through these things. So we have to be very careful because there are times that God will allow us to go through the consequences for our sin and will not rescue us when we cry out to Him. But sometimes in life, we all go through things that are outside of our control, that actually literally happen to us, that are not a result of our own sin, but are the result of the sin of others in our lives. 
Those are the times that God hears, that God rescues us, that He brings us through those things, that He helps us heal. And what we see here is that when God shows up and He does that, we see that He's angry at that sin. He's emotionally moved by those bad things that are happening to us. So you might sit there and go, does God care about what I'm going through? Does He really hear? Is it like we're bothering Him or interrupting Him from His golf game? No. God does care about what you're going through and experiencing. The difficult times in your life that are not a result of any kind of sin on your part. And that sin makes Him angry. And He wants to come to your aid. He wants to be there. He wants to care. He wants to answer. And we see that he moves. It felt like mountains were being moved, but not just the mountains, because he's not just powerful over the mountains and the earth. We see that he also impacts and affects the heaven. He's more powerful than the heavens themselves. And then we have this imagery of smoke coming out of his nostrils and devouring fire and glowing coals going forth. And we can picture this kind of like a volcano of sorts. But it's a, it's a volcano, it's so high, it's up in the sky. And it looks like literally God uh, coming down with that fire. And then not only that, we see in verse 10, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness would be like a storm cloud. That's the imagery David is communicating here. That he bowed the heavens, thick darkness was under his feet. And he talks about and describes a cherub that God comes down on the wings of. And we see that he made the darkness around him a canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. God literally... Rather, David describes him as a storm. God just doesn't casually make his way in and out of your life. When God answers and he comes through in your life, and he comes to rescue you from your situation, and comes to give you the strength to get through it, when he is your fortress, he comes like a storm. At least that's what it felt like to David. Because David wanted God. He didn't just want a quick fix to his problems. He wanted God. And God came like a storm. I mean, think about that. Think about the amazing imagery that we have here. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice. And when he did that, arrows of lightning. I mean, you really get a hold of this. We have a God that we can think of in those terms. A God that comes into our life and comes in like a storm. Thunder and lightning and fire and, and all of that. And he he routes our enemies. He deals with our our problems and our situations. I think it really comes down to not just wanting a fix, but actually wanting the Father. And that's what David wanted. He wanted God in the midst of all of this. Not just to be rescued, not just to be bailed out, not just to be saved. He wanted that relationship with God, the Father. We see that God is over the earth. He's over the heaven. And then he's also over us, both us and our enemies. Verses 17 through 20, let's look at those. We see God's power over all these situations. The heavens, the earth, and his people, us and our enemies. Verse 17, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Here we are again. Does God care about what you're going through? Does he care about 
how you feel? Does he care about the fact that it feels like your life is being dragged down to death? Yes. He's angry about the sin in your, in, in, in your life that others are doing that has affected you. He wants to come to your rescue and come to your aid. He wants you to want him. He wants you to delight in him. And he delights in you. We have a God who delights in us. And he is over us, but not only us, but also our enemies. He talks about enemies that are, David talks about enemies that are too strong for him. He feels overwhelmed. They're too mighty. Yet the Lord was my support, he says. God not only wants to be your fortress and your rock and your savior and your salvation and all those things, he also is your support. You can go to him. And we saw why earlier in the text. Because he's there. Because he cares. And because he hears when you call out to him. He's the perfect support. And David recognizes that God is bigger than his enemies. God is bigger than his situation. And God is bigger than he is. And he recognizes that God delights in him. And wants to rescue him. To come through for him. And he comes in like a storm. There is no question that this is a God that we can be thankful to and thankful for. And that we can delight in as He delights in us. And again, I don't know if this season is difficult for you or it's a struggle or life is that way right now. Maybe life is going great right now for you and it's, been, it's a high point. I'm here to tell you it won't always stay that way. And regardless, you can still... Thank God for who He is and the fact that, that He is perceptive of you and your situation, good or bad. And that He is powerful over not only you and your circumstances and the enemies in your life, whether they be circumstances or people, but He is over the very heavens and earth themselves and wants to move them because He delights in you. We often think of the Old Testament God as one of anger He's looking to, to take people out. But yet in the very text of Scripture, in the context of volcano and volcanoes and mountains and fire and lightning and all of those things, that phrase, because he delighted in me, should, should warm our hearts, really, truly, and remind us that we have a God who loves us. We see that we can thank God because he's perceptive. He's aware. He knows what's going on in our life. We see that he's powerful. But we see also, finally, as we look at the text, that we should thank God because he's principled. He has a moral standard. And he, he adheres to that moral standard, and it's his standard. It's probably not going to be what we define as morality and ethics unless we go to God's word and look at his standard as it's laid out. But God is a principled God. And there's some really neat and interesting things here as we look at the last part of the text. We see that God is a principled God. Verses 21 through 25, David then describes, after he talks about the God that delighted in him, he goes on to talk about how God dealt with him in his circumstances and situation. In verse 21 he says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. 
I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. There are a couple caveats to this text, because some of you may be sitting there thinking as we looked at this text, you're thinking, David, wasn't that great? There might be things that jump to our mind about various choices that he made throughout his life that we have recorded in Scripture. That might make us take pause and go, what is he talking about? His righteousness? The fact that he upheld all of his rules and statutes and all those? We know the guy made mistakes. The caveats are this, first. When he speaks of his righteousness, his cleanness, and and departing from the wicked ways uh, and, and all the rules and statutes, he is, in fact, looking at his life in its entirety. However, he is looking at it through the inspired lens of Scripture and the righteousness that he received through his faith in God. Because it is the righteousness of God that saves us. We have our righteousness now from Jesus Christ. As a Christian, when we accept Christ as our Savior, He imparts His righteousness to us. And if we are made righteous in God by virtue of Jesus Christ being our Savior, well, let me just put it this way. Do we ever make mistakes? Do we ever do anything that God says is a no-no? Well, I think it's fairly obvious that we all do because we all still struggle with sin to some degree. And David would have too. But David's righteousness was imputed because of his faith. His faith in God. In the Old Testament, in his faith toward the coming Messiah that was to come. He was looking to that and had faith in that and had faith in God. So we see that God clearly says in the Old Testament that was his righteousness that was imputed through his faith. As well as through the sacrificial system. It wasn't a perfect system, but it was a system that God had set in place before the Messiah came. And so... In maintaining that system as well as having his righteousness and faith in God, that is what he's talking about here in this text. And he says, God, my faith, the very end of his life, and that was the thing about David, is that David did have, he was a man after God's own heart. So he had that righteousness imputed from being a man after God's own heart and having faith in the Lord to the very end of his life. Yes, did he make mistakes? Yes, were there consequences? Yes, but ultimately he had a life that reflected a faith and love in God. And we see that it is based on that that he is calling out to God now and he's saying, God, yeah, you know what? In the back of his mind, he's probably going, because he is a person and we all have these thoughts sometimes where he probably was thinking in the back of his mind, made these mistakes, these things happened, but God, you know that I love you and you know that righteousness comes by faith in you, and all of these other things. And he could say with authority, spiritual authority, all of these things to God. Now in the New Testament, we know that God has given us Jesus Christ, and it is by faith in him, through his sacrifice on the cross, that we're forgiven, and that when God looks at us, he sees his righteousness. So I say all that, all of this is building toward this very theological principle that I want us to get a hold of today. We too can call out to God when we know Jesus Christ is our Savior with the kind of spiritual authority that points to the fact that we are in fact righteous before God because of His Son, Jesus Christ, and our faith in Him. And there are so many times in our lives when we're going through stuff, when we're discouraged, when we're beaten down, when we feel like it could be the end, that we're being pulled down to death, that we don't feel like we can go to God because we don't feel like we're worthy. 
Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe something just happened to us. Maybe it's just a terrible situation all around. And we think, I can't go to God. But you can. You can. Because when he looks at you, when you know his son, Jesus Christ, is your savior, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees your faith in the son of God. And he responds to that. What did God do? Verse 25. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. As we look at that text tonight, we can say this. It's modified a little bit for us in the New Testament. And the Lord has rewarded me according to Christ's righteousness. According to my cleanness through the Son in his sight. But it still counts. It's still there. When you're feeling beaten down, when you're discouraged, when you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and you don't feel like you can go to God, you can. Because he is a principled God. He is a righteous God. That's what we see in 21 through 25. It is the righteousness of God and the righteousness from God through the Son that imparts righteousness to us, that causes him then to reward us. That's why God will do things in your life at times that you do not deserve. He's not looking at you. He's looking at the Son. He's looking at Jesus Christ. And so we're left with only one response in that, and that is thankfulness. Thankful because he's righteous. But he's not only righteous, he is also equitable. He's equitable according to his standard, verses 26 through 28. David then goes on to talk about that, his, how he, he rewards him according to his righteousness, to the clean, cleanness in his sight, verse 26 through 28. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. And, and this really should remind us that God is not only righteous, he's also equitable. When he's principled, he has his own moral standard that's his because he is perfect. He's not only righteous, but he's equitable. And I think about that, and I look at that, and I go, how many times... Have I gone, God, that's not fair? How many times have I thought, God, I think that this is right, so you should think this is right, even when it's wrong? How many times have you, when you were younger, or have you had kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews say, that's not fair? We all do that because we're human. Because we want God to observe our standard of being equitable or equal. We lose sight of the fact that if God truly did everything according to what we deserve, there would be no hope for us. Because we don't deserve the Savior. We don't deserve Jesus Christ. We don't deserve all of the blessings that we receive because of our sin. And yet God's equitability is different than our own. And it is an equitability that can cause him to reward people and bless people according to their righteousness in Jesus Christ, but also can withhold wrath and punishment that we deserve as a result of our sin. And the next time we want to go, God, that's not fair, we should stop and think about that. That what it would truly be like if God really treated us like we truly deserve. But David thinks about that. And he addresses that here. 
And he recognizes that at the end of the day, God is going to do what God deems best because God knows what's best, regardless of what we're going through. We see that God is principled, he's righteous, he's equitable, but then he concludes this first section. Here's a little bit of a caveat or a lead into next week. Many commentators actually believe that verses, uh, that Psalm 18 and, and 2 Samuel 22 were actually two songs that were smashed together. Some say, no, it's all one big one. Some say it was two. But we're doing two, regardless either way. But we see in this last chunk, as we wrap up this portion, that God is a principled God, and that in the midst of being principled, he is also good. He's good. Verses 29 through 31. So David, is, is he's talked about all of these different aspects of who God is, that he's he, there and that he cares and that he hears and answers, that he is pow powerful and he's more powerful than the heavens and the earth, more powerful than us and our enemies, and that he's a principled God who's righteous and equitable. And he wraps, wraps up this section right here with the fact that God is good. He's good. Verses 29 through 31. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So David is processing writing all of that, and he's writing this particular song, and he gets to this part where he says, you know what? God is good. When I feel like I'm in the darkness and I don't know where to go or what to do or, or what's going to happen next, I know that God is the light. He's the lamp in my life. He is going to show me what I need to see when I need to see it, and He is there with me to, to reveal to me what is going to happen. He lightens my darkness. And then I love this next verse in verse 30. There's some very descriptive imagery here. Now, when we see that phrase, I can run against a troop, we might think of... Um, essentially an army of people or a wall of people, and he could run through it. But really what he's talking about there is an actual barricade. Maybe it was people, maybe it was a physical structure. But he knows that, and he believes that God is, is so good, that's how he feels. Because again, we know that this is a lot of feelings for David. Because David, David's a feelings guy. He was an action guy, but he's also a feelings guy. And when those two things collided, and we see that in battle and scripture, watch out if you're an enemy of God's. We see here he feels so invigorated and empowered by God's presence in his life and God's power and the fact that God is a, trust, a God he can trust, it's principled, that he feels like he can run right through a barricade of some kind and to leap over a physical wall. It's like Jordan jumping from the free throw line. But he's leaping right over that wall. That's how he feels when he, he reflects on the goodness of God. When was the last time you, you really sat with the goodness of God and thought about it? And it empowered you to realize what he can accomplish through your, your life. And the fact that no matter what you're going through, no matter how painful or tragic or difficult, that you can rise above that. Because you know the goodness of God. He's a shield for all those who take refuge. And, and verse 31 he can't help but acknowledge. Now think about this. This is a guy who is having his life threatened on a daily basis for years and years and years and years. Who He was told when he was a little boy that he was going to be king. And then from then on, he experienced for many, until he was 40 years old. So for like the next 30 years, 
He was on the run for his life. He was experiencing discrimination from God's or from the Jewish nation and Saul having it out for him. And he's hiding in caves and he's going through all of these things for 30 years. And yet, at the end of all of that, he can reflect and say, this God, this God, His way is perfect. It's just, wow. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter how much I'm struggling, this God, this God that I know, I can trust Him because His way is perfect. He's good. We worship a good God. And we can be thankful for that. As we look at these first 31 verses, that's what we see here in the text. That we have a God that we can thank because He's perceptive. He knows what's going on in our lives. He's powerful over everyone and everything. And He's principled. He is fair according to His standards. And He is good. Because His way is perfect. Everyone go ahead and bow your heads for me. Tonight, as we think about these first 31 verses, I want you to take a moment and try to remember the last time that you thanked God for who He is. When was the last time you took a moment and said, God, thank You for being You? Thank you for the ways that you show up in my life. That you're perceptive, powerful, principled. That you're a good God whose ways are perfect. When was the last time you took a moment and thought about that and thanked him for it? Tonight, in the quietness of your heart, think about those three things that we looked at. He's perceptive, he's powerful, he's principled. And then in the next few moments here, take a second to thank God for that right now. This Thanksgiving, if when you have the opportunity to thank God before others for something, if you're sitting at a family gathering and everybody goes around, and says, what's one thing you can thank God for? Maybe you're something ministry related. What are you thankful to the Lord for this year? Here's a, a challenge in that. Whichever one or more that you thought about that God brought to your mind and heart that you thanked Him for tonight, when you have that opportunity, share that with them. Share that with them, with your family, your friends, as you have the opportunity. Share that with them, that you are thankful for one of those three things. Show them that you love God for who He is, not just what He does in your life. Father God, thank You so much for Your Word and the encouragement that we have here. That we can know that no matter what we're going through and struggling with in life, that You're there and that You care. And that You want to rescue us. That you'll come like a storm. That you delight in us and that no matter what we're going through, your ways are perfect. 
God, I pray this Thanksgiving that we would thank you for those things. And that as we have the opportunity, we would share that with others. That we would remember when we're discouraged and down and we're struggling with our own sense of worthiness. That we'll remember our righteousness that's found in your son Jesus Christ. That you see in our lives. And that we'll come to you in the midst of our discouragement with a boldness that is supernatural and spiritual. God, thank you. Thank you. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, who is our righteousness. Amen. God bless as you go forth this Thanksgiving season, preaching, teaching, and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.